All right, I'm going to go ahead and start with prayer and then get started, I guess. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the ways that you show it to us. We thank you for the way that you use us to share it with each other. Pray, Father, that you will work through us today in our fellowship and in our words that we, our conversations that we have with each other. And I pray, Father, that you'll speak through me. Father, let me decrease that you may increase. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so uh, most of you I know, and I guess I presume that most of you know me, but some of you I think maybe don't because I don't know all of you. And there's reason for that. Reason is I haven't been here very much. My wife and I have been not coming in bodily form to church on Sundays for the last, well, during the pandemic, much. We've been here a few times. We've been here three or four. I think this is our fourth time here. Um, but we have been joining with you in worship every single week. Every week. We, we tune in with all you guys out there right now tuning in. Uh, and uh, we participate with you. Uh, when, we're, when the praise and worship is going on, we stand up, we sing the songs, sometimes even raise our hands. Nobody's looking, but we're there raising our hands, you know. We participate in communion when they have communion. We got our little crackers and our, and our wine and we're, 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 we're taking part in it when you guys are too. Um, when the, when the scripture reading goes on, we stand up for the scripture reading. You know, we're, we're doing as much as we can. And then of course the, uh, uh, the word that comes from Larry, which is always, always good. Um, so we have been worshiping with you, just not, not with you, you know, if, if you know what I mean. But, uh, and it's not quite the same. I mean, it's good. And, and, and it's such a blessing that we have that ability, you know, to do that, that way. Um, I, you know, my, my job takes me into the public some. And so I have to intermingle with a certain number of people every week and, and, and take precautions and everything. But, but the idea of possibly being the cause of somebody else getting something that, that bothered me. And so that's part of the, re- a big part of the reason that we didn't want to come, you know, and be here. We wanted to come and be here, but, but we didn't come and be here because we didn't want to spread that thing around. But hopefully things are changing now. Um, we had our, we had our shots, um, this past week. And so, of course, it'll be a couple of weeks or so before we're fully protected or protected as the shots will give us, you know. So, so we're looking forward though to being more interactive in person with all you guys. So that's, that's the thing to look for. Now, the worship is not the same when you're not here. I mean, getting to be with people, that's great. But the, Good part about being worshiping from home is the sermon. Because during the sermon, when you're at home, you gotta run, we can have a running commentary the whole time. We're talking about what he's saying, you know. It's kinda like Mystery Science Theater 3000. You ever seen? Yeah. <laughs> Some of you know what that is. You know, so we're, 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 we're there, you know, interacting, talking about what's being talked about. If you miss something, you can run it back and listen to it. You know, that's kinda cool too. Uh, so you folks at home, I know you're talking about me as I'm talking. Just, be kind, I ask you. So, um, so uh, 
those, for those of you who don't know, I, I'm a veterinarian. I, he, he, Phil introduced me as Dr. Brummett. I'm not a doctor of theology or a doctor of counseling or anything like that. I'm, a, I'm an animal doctor. So, uh, as a veterinarian, uh, I, I love animals. I'm also a dad and a many times over grandfather. So being a dad, I love dad jokes. <laughs> now, the, the, do y'all know what dad jokes are? Yeah, they're, they're usually short. Corny, simple jokes. Uh, I had a, um, had a, Sarah Manning, are you here? Oh, okay. Sarah, Sarah, and I told a few of those jokes uh, in biology class. She's one of my biology, I teach also high school biology. So she's in my biology class and she, she, after I told a few, she said, uh, Dr. Brummett, when you become a dad, like when you have, when y'all have children, does your sense of humor just go away instantly, or is it something that, you know, comes on gradually? You know, <laughs> I don't think about that. And, 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 and I think I have the answer. It, when your children are little, you know, those simple jokes are really funny to them. And so you get to be a, you know, you get to be a star. You, you, you pull out all these old corny jokes and make them up as you go, and, and they just laugh at all of them, you know. So that's, that's great. You know, that's great. Then as they get older... And then they realize they're not that funny. And then they start groaning and moaning and, and throwing things at you and telling you, please, please stop. That just makes it all the better. So <laughs> it just makes it that much funnier. So, you know, once a dad telling dad jokes, always a dad telling dad jokes. Oh, I thought I'd give you guys a few. So uh, being a veterinarian, loving animals, loving dad jokes, when you have dad jokes that include animals, hey, they ain't nothing better. So, I, mean, I got a list here. I'm going to share a few of them. Uh, what do you call a bear? Uh, the most common, maybe the most common type of bear joke is what do you call? I mean, call, the most common dad joke is what do you call? You know, you, you set up the situation. So, what do you call a bear with no teeth? A gummy bear. There you go. Somebody, Are you a dad? You have a dad, I bet. <laughs> you live with a dad. <laughs> there you go. All right. So what do you call a single row of rabbits hopping away? A receding hairline. <laughs> All right. What do you call an elephant that doesn't matter? Irrelevant. Oh, oh I heard a moan over there. I heard a moan. Uh, what do you call a cow with two legs? Lean beef. That's right. What do you call a wolf in a coma? An unaware wolf. <laughs> what do you call a magic dog? A labracadabrador. <laughs> what do you call a fish with no eyes? I heard somebody. <laughs> ah, it, you, yeah, think about it. It, it. it takes a second if you haven't heard it before. Yeah, I heard a moan over here too. Just keep moaning. You're just feeding the beast. <laughs> All right. Uh, what do you call a deer with no eyes? No idea. <laughs> so no idea is also the answer that I had to give Pastor Larry when he called me this week. He called me about Wednesday or so. And he said, what are you going to speak on? Because I want to put it in the bulletin. Uh, no idea. I don't know. <laughs> I did not know. Um, and so, but now I've, um, 
I thought about it, and uh, uh, I have settled on settled on it. And that's the reason I started with the jokes, because I thought a little levity would be good to go along with the sermon today. That's good. Go ahead, William. Let's go ahead and put the first. The topic that I've chosen for the day, the doctrine of hell. Mm. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, now. The doctrine of hell, it's not as popular as it once was. It's not. Uh, now, it, it, I mean, hell itself, that's popular enough. I and, mean, you know, people depict it and people talk about it and use it, you know, colorfully in their language a lot. Uh, but the doctrine of hell, you probably just don't hear that as much from the pulpit today as you did in times past. I remember growing up, grew up in Southern Baptist Church, and, and we would occasionally hear a sermon on hell. And if you go, and, and going back a little further, um, the uh, great awakenings that occurred in, you know, in the history of America, some of those were famous, some of those preachers were famous. In fact, they've got a name for that type of preacher, a hellfire and brimstone preacher, right? That was, that was, you know, a, a common type of sermon. And it was a common, um, uh, it was a common Theory, or not a theory, a common theme, I should say, uh, even further back. Um, but today, whenever you hear talk about hell or, or somebody wants to depict hell, it's often depicted kind of humorously. You know, um, The Good Place. Any of you watch that TV show? That's, uh, that's uh, kind of a humorous depiction of what hell might be like. Um, uh, the next one, William, this is, this will be a depiction of hell. But, uh, if you guys remember the far side, uh, oh man, the coffee's cold, he says. And below that one, it's cut off, but it says, they thought of everything. <laughs> so, you know, we, 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 we have a kind of a fuzzy concept of what hell is. Um, but in the, in the past, we don't take it very seriously now, but in the past we took it, we took it seriously. It was taken seriously. Um, if, if you go ahead to the next one, William, uh, back in the Renaissance and, and medieval times, this is a, this is a painting, uh, by Fra Angelico, Brother Angelico. Um, and, uh, it's called The Last Judgment. And a little difficult to see here, but right there in the center, Top is Jesus, and this is end times, and this is the final judgment being depicted in, in a painting. And that in the center, it looks like a sidewalk with uh, black squares. That's actually those are actually graves that have broken open. That's what the black squares are. Is the graves have broken open, so all the people they're coming up out of the graves to be judged in the final judgment. And on the left side, you have some folks that are being, you know, escorted into the gates of heaven, and on the right, you have some that are being more or less herded or driven into the into the mouth of hell. And over here on the far right, you have like different rooms in hell, you know, like different caverns or compartments. Um, go ahead to the next one, William, and and there's a close up of that part, and it's kind of gruesome, you know. Uh, people in there, they they're they're strapped up with look like barbed cables or or 
or whatever, tying them up. You've got demons all over the place, you know, sticking them with sharp things. you got people, you know, in a cauldron with fire underneath it. And uh, here at the very bottom, it's hard to see there, but that's I think that's supposed to be a depiction of Satan himself. But it's a, it's a big demonic figure, and he's got like three mouths, and there's, you know, people sticking out of each mouth as he's consuming, you know, chewing them up. Here you got in the bottom left, there's a, a demon who's taken gold, I guess, from from people who thought they could bring it with them. And he's smelting it down in a pot. And over here on the left, they're pouring the smol- smolten gold down the throat of, of, of some guy. You know, that was his, I guess that was his big sin. Here, upper in the middle right, there's a table set with food. And all the people sitting around it looking at the food and their mouths are sewn shut. You know, so... Yeah. There's scary images. They're impressive, you know. And it may be, well, I'd say it's probably a safe bet that it was intended to scare people, you know, to, to participate in the church life. Um, and to, that it's a place to be, a place to be avoided. Now, this, some of this imagery, you can't really get it directly from scripture. Okay. And, and it's, it's likely that a lot of the imagery that was used, well, Dante Alighieri, you guys probably heard of Dante's Inferno. Well, the liter, the literary description matched a lot of these pictures. And so, or these pictures matched a lot of his literary description, I should say. Um, but some of those images came from pagan sources as well, because pagans also had an idea of, of hell, you know, of, of a judgment after death and, and people being punished after death for their life, for what they did in their lives, lifetimes. So, so these, this is not a unique idea to Christianity. You have, you have locks and gates and chains and tortures and all that kind of stuff. Now, so we, we need to look at it though and think about what, what do we know about hell? What can we get from scripture? Um, and think about why is it that it's not a very popular, <laughs> popular subject to talk about, uh, seriously anyway, these days. Uh, go ahead, the next, um, the next slide, William, and this is a quote from Lee Strobel. Some of you may know Lee Strobel, and I apologize, it's kind of a long quote. I'll read it to you. As a spiritual seeker, I found my sense of justice outraged by the Christian teaching about hell. The doctrine seemed like cosmic overkill to me, an automatic and unappealable sentence to an eternity of torture and torment. It is mandatory sentence taken to the extreme. Everyone gets the same consequences regardless of their circumstances. Step out of line with God, even a little bit, even inadvertently, and you're slapped with an endless prison sentence in a place that makes Leavenworth look like Dixieland, uh, Disneyland. So... Maybe Dixieland too, but Disneyland. Um, and so, you know, the idea that of a God who's going to take you because you're human, basically, and punish you for that forever—that's not that—that's not an appealing idea. <laughs> that's not a good thought. And so, that 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 presentation tends to drive people away. Believe it or not. Um, so we, we're going to ask ourselves a few, going to the next one, William, we're going to ask ourselves a few questions. What is hell? 
Is it real? Where is it? What's it like? Where did it begin? Those kinds of questions. Now, I'm going to borrow, um, well, I'm borrowing a whiteboard, and I'm going to use this just for a couple simple diagrams, and, and I'll just right up front tell you I am ripping this off from a guy named Tim Mackey who does the Bible Project, some of you may be familiar with. But this is one of his diagrams that he uses as a teaching uh, teaching tool. Um, and he's, he's talking about kind of the common conception uh, or perception of hell. And so this is, this is the earth, and we'll just draw. Let's see. Terrible earth, but there we go. All right, so this is the earth. And, you know, it's going through time. And here's me and you and, you know, all of us here on the earth going through time. And it's something like this. As we go through our lives, you know, if you do enough good things, you know, help enough ladies across the street and, and be kind to enough people and don't kick the dog when you want to and all that kind of stuff, then, then you're getting points on this side. And then when you mess up and do bad things, deplorable things, you're getting kind of points on this side. And and a lot of people think that, you know, it's sort of you get to the end and you weigh the balance. And if you got more points on the good side than on the bad side, then you get to go to heaven. But if you have the balance goes the other way, then you get to go to hell. And a lot of people, especially, you know, if non-Christians, if you ask them, what is the Christian teaching about hell? That's that's. They'll tell you something like that. Um, and, and, and fortunately, if you ask some Christians, some people who go to church regularly and, and, and are uh, professing Christians, that's sometimes the type of answer you'll get. Um, now, this concept, again, wh- 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 where does this idea come from? Well, it doesn't really come from Scripture because this, this, this idea is actually more universal than Christianity or Ju- Judaism even. It's it's something that we see in a lot of different worldviews, a lot of different faith things. So this is very much like Islam, for instance. Islam is very much, you know, you're trying to live the holy life. If you pray enough, if you give enough, if you're kind enough, if you, uh, um, you know, prof- prof- profess the greatness and the oneness of God enough, if you do all those things enough and you avoid the bad things, avoid alcohol and the other bad things, uh, then, then God, Allah may deem you worthy to, to come to paradise. Uh, and that's, and that's also some of the pagan religions, same, same type of thing. You know, if you, if you exhibited the virtues, uh, then, then you may get some kind of heavenly reward. But if you, if you indulge in the sins, then, then you, you deserve hell. And that's, that is a very common human perception of the way things are. Um, so where do we, where do we, where does that come from? If it doesn't come out of the Bible, where does it come from? Well, the fact is that most everyone, if not everyone, recognizes that there are things that are heavenly. There are things that are considered good, fairly universally. Um, let's see here. I don't have room to use, do a whole bunch of them, but creativity, that's good. And courage, that seems, that seems like a good thing. Pretty much, that's good. Um, beauty, ah, that's good. 
uh, if I can spell, harmony with, you know, living in harmony with, with, with man and with nature, joy, selflessness. You know, people see those things and they recognize that those are good things and, and they acknowledge that. And then there's the counter to that. And we know what that, I mean, like the counter to creativity would be destructive, destruction, right? And, um, and the uh, beauty would be, say, like desecration. And selflessness would be, you know, um, yeah, selfishness or greed. And cowardice. And, uh, well, let's put the big one up here too. Love and hatred and enmity with your fellow man. Okay. So we get, you get the idea. They're, we see that they're opposites. They're, they're diametrically opposed to each other, these, these concepts. Now, once you get someone, once you get someone to acknowledge that, you know, creativity is better than destruction or that selflessness is better than selfishness, that beauty is better than desecration and, and, um, Harmony is better than discord. You know, once you get somebody to admit those things, they've already basically conceded some ground there. They, they you can't be a um, a consistent materialist, a consistent naturalist, and say that there is such a thing as real good. Because otherwise, if you're a naturalist, whatever is just is. There is no good or bad. You may say it was good for me or I liked it. It's a, it's a, it's my preference. So to me it was good, but that's all, that's about as far as you can go with that. Uh, if you're a naturalist, but very few people do that. They, they recognize that, that racism belongs over here. Slavery belongs over here versus freedom. And, uh, and openness, you know, acceptance. Again, a, a subcategory of love. So, if they are going to acknowledge that much, then they're basically saying there is such thing as a moral good and a moral evil. And if there's such a thing as these, as moral good and moral evil, then the extreme the extreme manifestation of that, well, that's hell. And any, any time that that's manifested to any degree, to that degree, it's manifesting hell. So hell is real. We all know it's real because we all know that evil is real. We've, we've felt it. We, we've seen it. And we usually can point it out. It's easy to point out, especially when it's somebody else doing it. You know, we can, we can recognize it. And it's easier to recognize on the big picture in a way because you can say, you know, oh, yeah, all these things, those are evil, and all these things are good. So on the cosmic scale, black and white, we get that. Then we also want to go ahead and make as many of those black and white type judgments as we can. Like, 
Nazis, yeah, they're evil, right? Uh, whereas the ones that they, the Jews and the others that they uh, uh, oppressed and killed and destroyed and tried to eliminate from the face of the earth, then that would be the good side. And those who fought against the Nazis, those were on the good side. And we, so again, big groups, countries, nations, cultures, we want to say these are good and these are bad. And then when we get down to the people, we have a tendency to say, okay, good people and bad people. But um, there we are. Sorry for the delay here. But in, in actuality, there's a little bit of hell in all of us, you know. Um, so. Go ahead to the, the next next slide. In fact, um, my very earliest realization of, of of hell, to be honest with you, and the most consistent and persistent reminder to me of the existence and the reality of hell is actually myself. It's in myself. Alexander Solzhenitsyn says, the battle line between good and evil runs through the heart of every man. To be honest with you, I've seen it on TV. I've seen it depicted in movies. I've read about it in books. And I've seen some of it, you know, in real life of man's inhumanity against man. But in all honesty, I myself haven't experienced that much of it. Um, I know that. It's more than luck, though. It's more than luck. I have I have parents that were loving parents. They I was raised in a Christian home, and from the time that I was born, at least, or to, from the time that I can remember, to today, my parents are still alive. There was never a day, never a part of a day, never a part of a minute that I ever doubted that they loved me. Not everybody gets that. I got the career that I wanted to have. I got the girl I wanted to have. And in, in, in our relationship, I mean, we've had spouts, spats and, you know, fights and angry, you get angry at each other. I've, she's made me mad and I've made her madder. <laughs> But never during any of that time did I doubt that she loved me either. And I know that that is not the common experience. My children, I don't know that they ever showed any significant amount of disrespect. Again, not not the common experience. And this is not bragging because I don't, this is not me. I can't take I can't take credit for that. It's the grace of God working in these people and occasionally working through me. And all glory goes to him. And so I am so thankful, but I'm also that makes me a little nervous because I'm kind of like a little hothouse plant, you know? I've been sheltered from a lot of pain in my life. I'm, I'm 
The only bone I've ever broken was my little toe. I had a horse that stepped on it once, you know, in my line of work. And I broke my toe. And, and I had a, you know, a back injury a couple of times that, that, you know, put me out of work for a little while. I've never had a serious disease that put me in the hospital or, you know, any kind of, any kind of real trial like that. So I, I don't know. I may, you know, I may fold up like a, <laughs> like a TV tray under a, under a big TV, <laughs> you know, when I'm, when I'm put to pressure, I don't know what I'll be like. We all like to think that we're pretty good, you know. We all like to think that if we were in World War II, we would be the ones hiding the Jews from the Nazis and not be the Nazis. <laughs> We'd like to think that we would be the ones hiding and trying to get the slaves up, you know, to freedom during middle uh, middle of the 19th century America and not the slave holders. We'd like to think that, but we don't know. Because we don't know what our circumstance, what we would be like in those situations if you're not there. And so that's why we can't judge. We can't judge those people too harshly. I mean, we can judge the actions and we can look back and say, well, yeah, that was wrong. And the circumstance does not justify the action ever. The sin is sin. And especially destructive sins like those. But like I said, I, I, I'm thankful there, uh, there, but by the grace of God go I. I mean, I understand that. And I, and I just, you know, pray that if and when the trials come, that I'll get the help that I need. All right. So if, so we're, you know, we all have hell <laughs> in us. <laughs> And if we all have hell, well, where did that come from? Well, that's pretty clear. The Bible, the Bible gives us a good explanation of that. Now, this is, this is something that, again, borrowing from Tim Mackey, you know, when you go to the first verses of the Bible, in fact, the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It does not mention him creating hell. So hell is something else, not part of the creative plan. Right? So, now we get some clues from Jesus. I think that's the next, the next slide. We get some clues from Jesus as to where the origins may have been. Uh, see, red letters. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So Jesus is talking about seeing that, seeing Satan fall from heaven. And then go ahead to the next one, William. Where that one came from. Uh, and then, but Jesus, when he said it, there was, there had been said before by Isaiah, you know, in the Old Testament, something like that. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn, you have been cut down to the earth, you have weakened the nations. So, when the rebellion occurred, if we can talk, I don't know if we can say before creation, at the beginning of creation, it's hard to know because when you're talking about the spiritual realm, sometimes time and space doesn't apply just exactly the way we understand it. But at some point there, there was a rebellion and that rebellious spirit went somewhere. Where did it say he went? To earth. And so sometimes he's, Sometimes he's even referred to as the Lord of this earth, right? Basically, he says. So he he he's there, and when does it enter 
history. When does it enter human history in particular? In the garden, right? The very beginning of the fall. We all know that story. And so, um, I think... Yeah. So, once it entered Adam and Eve, you know, God had already told them to be fruitful and multiply. But they didn't actually start multiplying as far as making other people until after the fall. That's the way that the story is told. So, as the people were multiplied, the hell that had entered into them was multiplied as well. You see, it got passed down. And so the next quote is from, and again, this is a long quote, and I apologize for the length of it, but it's from St. Augustine, Augustine, whichever way you want to say it. You say tomato, I say tomato. Um, and it's good. So for God, and, and as I get to the end of this one, William, it just jumps to the next slide too. For God, the author of natures and not of vices, created man upright, but man being of his own will corrupted and justly condemned, begot corrupted and condemned children. For we all were in that one man since we all were that one man who fell into sin by the woman who was made from him before the sin. Already the seminal nature was there from which we were to be propagated and this being vitiated by sin and bound by the chain of death and justly condemned, man could not be born of man in any other state. And thus, next one, and thus from the bad use of free will, there originated the whole train of evil, which with its concatenation of miseries, convoys the human race from its depraved origin as from a corrupt root onto the destruction of the second death, which has no end, those only being accepted who are freed by the grace of God. That's from City of God. All right, so what he's telling us there and what the Bible story tells us is that the condemnation, I mean, the the track is set. All of mankind is heading toward hell from the beginning. But God had a plan. God saw what was going to happen, and God made arrangements. Um, It was, um, as, as Larry likes to say, not plan B. This was plan A from the beginning. Because he wanted to give us the choice. And if you don't have a true choice, then you're not really free. Um, The next next slide. G.K. Chesterton. Hell is God's great complement to the reality of human freedom and the dignity of human choice. I've also heard it said that hell is a monument to the dignity of human free will. And so it is that contamination playing out to the end. Now, it's a good it's a good analogy that hell that sin and hell and evil, whichever way you want to put it, it's all the same, is fertile. It spreads. And 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 I can I can give you a, a quick demonstration that I think you'll will illustrate the point. Well not demonstration, I'll just tell you about it because it would be nasty to demonstrate it. Um, if you had a 
big old glass of water, nice big, say, 32-ounce, like big gulp, you know, nice, pure, clean water. And I went into the nastiest public bathroom I could find, and I found a toilet. And I'm calling upon common experience. Most of us have done this. You go to the toilet, somebody didn't flush it. It's just that nasty crap in it that's been in there for a long time. And it's been, you know, it's a swill, you know. And I took just a, just a, a dropper full. I mean, just, you know, a few drops, a dropper full out of that. And I put that little tiny bit in your, in your 32-ounce cup of water. Would you drink it? No. No. A little leaven leavens the whole loaf, right? I mean, that's like, you know, no, it's contaminated. I'm not going to drink that. What, about, what, what if you waited um, a day or a week or a month? Would it be better? No. No. It would be worse. Yeah, because the contamination would grow in there. You know, and that's... Um, well, our common experience again that we've lived through, you know, sin is like a virus. You know, it, once it gets in, into someone, it grows. And sin begets sin. You know, the more you sin, the more you sin. You know, you, you, you cheat or you steal and then you lie about cheating or stealing. And then you lie about lying because somebody pins you down on it and you go, oh, no, I'm telling the truth. And so it, it, it builds on itself. And it makes it easier to do the next time. The more you do it, the more comfortable you get with it. So that's the way sin grows in us. You know, and we, we've, we've experienced that. We know this. I don't have to tell you. Well, the virus grows. But sin, even though it's fertile and it grows, it also destroys. Just like the virus. It starts killing the host that's supporting it. And the host also spreads it around. We know that sin rubs off on people, just like a virus. Sins tend to be generational. It goes from parents to children. Abusing parents tend to raise children who grow up to be abusing parents. Racism begets racism. All, all those sins tend to multiply and spread, even though while it's doing, it's, it's fertile and it's fatal. It seems paradoxical that way, but it's, it's the seeds of its own destruction. Eventually, as all the, as all the hosts die off, you think the sin dies off. In fact, you know, in viruses like Ebola, it's a really deadly virus and it hits quick and it hits hard and it kills the patient very rapidly. That one was actually fairly easy to contain. It's the sin and the disease that doesn't show its, its pathology overtly too quickly or too easily to rec- too easy to recognize. That is the most dangerous. And that's part of the reason this current virus is so bad because a lot of people had it, spread it around, didn't know that they had it at all. So it's, it's, uh, you know, that's a good analogy, and it's one that we can kind of all identify with just because of our, com- again, our common experience with the, with this disease that's going around right now. Now, what's, so if, let me, again, using a sort of a analogy here. Here's our cup of water <laughs> with our drop of nasty stuff in it. And so we know that with that drop of nasty stuff, the whole cup, 
is contaminated, right? It's just, we're not gonna, yeah, it's, it's all, it's all disease ridden. It's all awful. We don't, and the longer it sits there and brews, the worse it gets. We know that. It spreads itself around. So, instead of this idea here, what happens, what makes the Bible story unique is that you have heaven actually coming to earth. And where heaven came to earth, there was a cleaning up, a purifying, a, a clean spot. And that was represented in the Old Testament by the temple. You know, they did, they did sacrifices and, and, you know, they had the law and following the law. And that temple represented the presence of God. And that spot was considered holy, clean, pure, particularly on certain days of the year. Because that's where the presence of God was. But that was only a presaging of what actually happened in history when Christ came from heaven. And when he came from heaven, he cleaned he cleaned, he was pure. And he cleaned up the area. He's, he spread around that purity. And so it's sort of like the, it's sort of like you got this container of super pure water that wherever it goes, it's pure. Even though the water all around, it's nasty. But inside, it's pure. And, the, you know, even though the nasty stuff gets all over the container, and may eventually, in fact, does eventually destroy the container. Jesus' body was destroyed. But although all hell broke loose on Jesus, his character was not changed. He remained pure. And, you know, the metaphors that he uses, like, I am the living water. If you drink of this water, you will not thirst again. So when that living water gets into you, it starts purifying you. It starts changing you. It's not an instantaneous thing. Some of it will be instantaneous, but it's a process once it gets into you. Now, some folks wanted to just take the living water and maybe wash their hands a little bit on it. Or maybe they wanted to swish it around in their mouth and spit it out just to taste it. But you have to drink the water. (laughs) You have to take it in and make it part of you. For the Holy Spirit to do its job of cleaning you up. So the purpose, the, the Bible story, the, the gospel story, Jesus didn't come down and say, hey, I've got new, good news. Hell isn't real. That wasn't the story. Those people knew that hell was real. They saw it all around them. And they saw it in, they felt it in themselves. The good news is hell is real but I have a cure for it. I'm bringing a healing to you for it. And he demonstrated the life, the heavenly life, the anti-hell life. Taking everything that was thrown to him, all the hatefulness and all the jealousy and all the pride and all the stuff that, that the world had to offer. And because he was worthy because he is the son of God. Then his doing that was enough. It's, a, it's sufficient to clean up and eliminate all the hell 
that's out there. Jesus came to get the hell out of you. And then he's recruiting us to help get the hell out of the earth. And that's our job. That's our, you know, as we take him in, as we start living the Christ life, then our lives should start looking more and more like him. And if you'll let the Holy Spirit work in you, it will. And so that, this, as this water is poured out, everything that it touches gets cleaned up. And so as you share it with others, they start getting to experience the heaven life and start getting the healing from what has been done to them by hell. All right, there's a lot of questions about hell that we're not going to be able to answer. If that, um, at least, I mean, the kinds of questions like, is it a, is it a place or is it a, is it a state of being? Huh? Is there a difference? Does it, once you go to hell, do you, or do you stay there forever? Uh, or are you destroyed completely? You know, there's, there's, Two kind of camps there is the punishment of hell. I mean, Jesus says everlasting punishment. He says that. Now, does that mean that the punishment itself is everlasting or does it mean the effects of the punishment is everlasting? I don't know. There are much wiser people than I am have come back, come down on both sides of that. I, I, I don't know. And again, when you get into the spiritual realm, time and duration, Sometimes it's different from the way we understand it. So I, I, I'm not going to try to answer that. I believe Jesus, you know, that, that those, in fact, I think, yeah, this is my scripture. This is my scripture that I'll have you stand for. Now, just for the setting, this is not red letter. This is actually John the Baptist that to know what happened was he had disciples that came to him when they, when Jesus first started his ministry and he was baptizing and, and, you know, starting having some disciples of his own. And, and they came to John saying, who is this guy? Are we supposed to keep following you or are we supposed to follow him or what? And he said, I've told you from the beginning that I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. And then he goes on to say, this guy, he's the son. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. There's only, it's good news. It's good news because it's the way out of the bad news. The bad news is if we just follow that track that was started when hell got into human race, it will, it will play its way on out. And hell is the result. But God made provision through Jesus Christ, through his life, his, his death, and his resurrection for us to escape that fate, to get the hell out of us so that we can stay the hell out of hell. Um, Don, if you would come up. And I think the, the mighty river uh, open of the floodgates, I think that's a good song for this. Because that river is free for everyone to jump into. Now, if you have not 
drunk the living water. If you've just thought about it, played with it, tasted it a little bit, but you think now is the time that you're ready to drink that water and start a different life, I'd encourage you to do that. Don't put it off. If you want to come, we've got steps that work as an altar. If you want to make that commitment in your chair, if you want someone to pray with you, I'd be glad to do that. Or we've got others too that can do that. But if you haven't started that life, start it today. If you've neglected that life that you started some time ago, jump back into it today. Let the Holy Spirit do what he does in your life too. All right, guys. We'll sing a few verses of this, and then when we get to the end of that, then uh, that'll be the end of this service, and go forth and spread that water around. I'm going to turn around here and worship with the rest of y'all. <laughs> I was going to say tell a dad joke while we waited, but uh, that might run the anointing off. We've waited for this day. We are gathered in your name, calling out to you. Your glory like a fire, awakening desire, will burn our hearts with truth. Because you're the reason we're here, and you're the reason we're singing. Open up the heavens. Show us your power, show us.
that he came down to purify our hearts. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing that again, that bridge. Show us, show us your glory. Show us, show us your power. Show us, show us your glory. Thanks, offering. Thank you, Kevin. And Lord, let us today continue to drink of that pure water, Father, and spread it around. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day, you guys. Open up the heavens. We want to see you. Open up the floodgates. A mighty river.
talking about. <laughs>